G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC. So as usual, thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Now, the good news for us today is that we're back in the studio. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, it was a bit of a blooper, really, because uh, unfortunately my guest today was having a bit of IT issues, which happens to us all from time to time. So it was like, okay, you okay to go into the studio? I'm okay. Yes, you're okay. So we thought, why not do it? And so like we did with Bella last week, we've got our gloves on, we've got our masks on, we've got steriliser stuff for everything, and we're here in the studio. So super happy about that. So with that, today I'd like to introduce you to Madison Robertson, who is doing a PhD in health quality under the supervision of Dr. Rylan Egan. Welcome to Grad Chat, Madison. Thank you so much for having me. So we've had, been having a bit of a gas bag while we were getting ourselves set up. So we've got some exciting things to tell you today. So uh, I hope you're all ready for it. Now, before we actually start talking about your research, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the Health Quality Program, as it is a blended format, and, and so it's predominantly, I guess, off-campus, with a few exceptions when you can come in. And, of course, a lot of people think, well, what's the purpose of the Health Quality Program? So can you give us a bit of a background on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you said, it's blended format. Uh, in our first year, we get to come to Queen's campus for two week-long intensive programs where we get to meet the other students, start our classes, meet professors and the staff. Nice. Uh, and so the health quality program, um, it's really focused on the delivery of uh, health care and um, as well as more of like a collaborative approach to understanding the complexities of the healthcare system. Okay. Um, and so it's quite broad. There's a lot of different domains and, and um, sort of fields of research within, within the health quality program, but it's mostly focused on understanding and improving the healthcare system. So what kind of people want to do this program? Are they people that have already been out in the healthcare system and then come back or are they coming straight from undergrad or, or masters? Yeah, so typically I'm a little bit of a oddball out, but a lot of the <laughs> individuals who are part of the program have been working in the healthcare system, whether it's um, as health quality experts or within different hospitals and in different leadership positions, as well as there's a few physicians. And then myself and another student have come just from our master's as well. Right. And so mine is more research-based, so I do have a background working in long-term care as well as kinesiology and healthcare positions, but I am mainly focused on, right now, on research and working working within different research positions. So right. it's sort of a, a variety of whether or not you have a really long time experience within the healthcare system or you're more coming straight from the masters. So those people who are already in the health system and have come back, are they still working full time as well as doing this or Yeah, so it's set up really really great. The purpose is to be able to work full time. Our classes in the first year are at night. 
So right. we're able to continue to work. And that's um, online. Yes, it's right. online. So you have your two week intensive, one's in September and one's in January, and the rest is online. So we have individuals from the states as well as different provinces in Canada who just come for the week and then are able to do that remotely and still work their jobs. And then myself and others who don't have full-time positions in hospitals, we're doing work within research at Queen's and other universities as well, which is also like our full-time job on top of the PhD. Yeah, so it's set up really nice that we can still work and also collaborate within the hospitals that they work in or the research that we're doing outside of our PhD. That's great. So I imagine then, because it is a blended format, but there's only a few periods of time when you're supposedly on campus, the pandemic probably didn't affect you quite as much as those that were normally on campus all the time. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've had conversations with other friends and other programs for their PhD and being home all the time. And I always say, you know, it wasn't much of a change for me because I was working mostly from home before. I'm lucky enough to be from Kingston and living in Kingston. So I was able to come in sometimes. Right. But for a lot of other individuals, the PhD portion is is mostly online anyway. So the pandemic, we're very fortunate not to have too much of a change, which is nice. Um, I know the incoming students didn't get quite the same intensive weeks, right. especially in the last year, but they're mm-hmm. working on sort of improving that for the future as well to make sure that if they're unable to come to Kingston, they can still facilitate those intensive weeks. So I guess then those times that normally you would have come, it should still be virtual. Did you feel that you got to know your colleagues properly being virtual? I mean, I know everyone can say that who's just arrived at Queen's and and haven't experienced Queen's, but how did you find it? I found it actually to be pretty amazing. And the group of individuals that I'm working with are outstanding. Um... I come from a background in kinesiology, and so I was really excited to go in this program, but also a little bit nervous because I don't have that background or that 20 years working experience in healthcare and health Mm. quality. So to bring together individuals who have such different backgrounds and experiences, we were really able to make a good connection. And we were actually made like weekly meetings with each other outside of our PhD time to check in on each other and see how like, you know other work's going or even just check in on the PhD program so that was really nice obviously us not all being in the same city we sort of had to make it work and Mm -hmm. and we definitely found different ways and I think too now that a lot of stuff is online people are finding other ways to connect right and make sure that we sort of stay together but I did find the intensive week really important to make those connections Mm -hmm. at night we would go out for dinner or we would go skating at City Hall or something just right. to make sure that we had some social time to get to know each other as well. That, that's interesting, yeah, because it, it can make quite a difference. But I think what's, what's nice about your program is, like you said, you've got people who have been in the field for a long time and then you've got people like yourself who've, had, who've got the research background. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great blend of people excuse the pun of the blended format, <laughs> but blending of people with different expertise that you can then share each other's expertise to help in projects. Do you actually work on projects together as opposed to your main thesis? Or Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. It's a, a great blend and we sort of work off each other and help mm. each other. But yeah, we have, especially in the first year with all of our assignments, there was quite a few group assignments to get to work together and learn how to work with sort of collaboratively with others as well in different projects. But even now there's the opportunity to, um, even for our PhD 
studies or research we can have other individuals working with us Mm -hmm. as well as we're really lucky to be able to do an internship great so that's at the end of our first year and you're able to make really good networking and connections Mm -hmm. that way so not only are you working on your phd but you get that experience to work with people in your field of interest whatever your internship topic is and make connections that way with others outside of the phd program so i think that's really really important and that's why i've always liked uh, like for instance our masters in public health because Mm -hmm. they have that sort of practicum base as well in it to give you those connections for jobs after and and things like that so I guess we should actually get on to what (laughs) you are studying because here I am gas bagging again because I'm just always intrigued about how our programs work and particularly under COVID times Mm -hmm. makes things a little interesting so you've already told us of course your background was kinesiology was your background that you did in your master's related to your current topic or is it totally different? Completely different. Um, (laughs) I (laughs) I did my master's in sports psychology. Oh, that is a little different, but it's still health. Yeah, it's still health. So I did it focused on social identity. And so I think part of that, the psychology aspect was brought over where my interest in yeah psychosocial well-being quality of life there was that aspect in my master's that I was able to sort of bring over but in terms of like general topic it was very very different (laughs) (laughs) well that's good there's always something you can transfer to the next thing that you do right so so that's terrific so for everyone I know you've been waiting with bated breath the actual research topic for medicine is Understanding the lived experiences of spouses who are separated in long-term care facilities. Pretty topical right now, long-term care facilities. But this is actually looking at the spouses being separated as well. So there's kind of two things there. Can you just give us a bit of an overview of what you're trying to do? And then I've got some really good questions for you. Absolutely. So I guess my focus has always been in wanting to understand long-term care systems in Canada. And I've always had an interest in older adults and geriatrics. From my past experiences, I worked in long-term care. One thing that I came across when I worked in long-term care was individuals and spouses that were separated. Mm -hmm. By spouses, I mean partners, long-term partners. Right. So they would be married or together for 20, 30 years, and then because of the wait list or the available beds in long-term care, they would sometimes be separated from their spouse when they have to go into long-term care. So there's been a bit of research done on what that looks like when an individual has to place their spouse into long-term care for various reasons like dementia, Alzheimer's. Right. But there hasn't been a lot of research that looks at what happens when spouses are separated in two long-term care system facilities. So one is placed in Kingston and another is placed in one in, say, Ottawa right. or even two in Kingston. There was a story that really struck me in Newfoundland where an individual, an older lady, was placed 200 kilometers away from her family and her spouse. Wow. That's and so, awful. Yeah. And so I'm really interested in looking at what that looks like and how those experiences and perspectives feel for the individuals that are separated and... I chose to sort of focus on the lived experience and do more Mm -hmm. of like a qualitative study because I really want to get their perspectives. Right, right. And really focus specifically on how it affects their mental health. So I've decided that I'm going to be focusing on loneliness and depression. Right. Two things that are quite common in long-term care as well as 
even more important now because of COVID mm -hmm. and the restrictions that are on visitations and all of those issues. So I think there'll be aspects that can be applied to long-term care systems across Canada in general, but also specific for COVID as well. It's interesting you're talking about their lived experiences because, I mean, unfortunately, long-term care has been all over the news this past year with the pandemic of where things are broken down just within a facility, mm -hmm. uh, which is awful. Uh, as we and luckily it's brought a light to things but I know from people who have who for instance have elderly parents and even finding a it's getting the placement in the first place because there's such long waiting lists and it's almost like you have to put yourself on a list when you're 40 or something to to try and ensure you stay on but then again if a place is available and you don't take it you probably get shoved to the back of the line again so I mean that's a logistics thing in, in, in one sense that needs to be fixed. So I'm not sure how much you can change that, but the fact that you're looking at the lived experiences, because we all, we all want to know that when, as we're getting older, you know, you want to be around the people that you care mm -hmm. about. Absolutely. Because that would have a huge impact on whether you feel like you want to stick around or not, if you can't be near them. Yeah, social relationships and good quality relationships are just so important when it comes to influencing the mental health and the physical health for, for older adults. Mm -hmm. um, and those especially sort of increase in importance when they go into long-term care because of it's such a big change. But even with the logistics side, understanding those lived experiences of these older adults can help guide the God. logistics side, the policies and the guidelines later on. By really understanding what they want and what they need can sort of help propel and influence, influence. those yeah guidelines. so that's really what you're trying to do isn't it by yeah. collating all these experiences and saying well you know that that experience explains that does it need to be changed <laughs> exactly yeah so it's my hope that after the interviews i'm also going to be able to work with different stakeholders and individuals to really do a review of the current guidelines that are in place for spousal separation in long-term care and then make recommendations based off of the interviews that i did and based off of the information mm -hmm. and uh, results that come from those interviews so yeah so let, let me ask you this question before i go specifically into what you, these other questions sure when you're looking at your research, currently, are you just looking in Ontario or across Canada? So just in Ontario? Yeah, so I'm going to focus just on Ontario to start. There are differences between provinces, and then the hope is that maybe it can influence other other provinces. But to start, it's going to be focused on Ontario. So, you know, looking at Ontario, I mean, I'm pretty new to this, but I think most of them aren't they are private um, long-term care facilities, which... It's not easy to make policy on private places. Yeah, so I believe they're mostly private and we're fo focused on those ones. So the more public or ones that are linked to hospitals and rehab facilities, right. we're not going to be focusing on. It's going to be the private long-term care facilities that we'll focus on for the study. That'll make it difficult. And anyway, and then how many are you trying to ha have a conversation with? Because again, in the pandemic, it's a little harder, isn't it? 
Yeah, and usually for like this type of, so I'm going to be doing case studies. I'm really going to be looking at them over time and interviewing the individuals multiple times. Okay. So I'm only going to be sort of interviewing and following 10 individuals, okay. 10 spouses, and, and I'm going to make sure that there's a wide range of, you know, gender and background right. and different demographics to ensure that it sort of captures the whole picture right. as much as possible. Yeah, because I think the economical side comes into play, doesn't it? Absolutely. How much can they afford as to what your experience could be in these facilities? Some might be going, woohoo, this is awesome. And others, it's really depressing just walking in the door. Absolutely. And I do also want to, so I'm going to be, for two of the individuals, talking to spouses that were able to stay together Right. in long-term care so that right. I can compare their experiences of being together in long-term care compared mm -hmm. to those who are separated. Um, and so I hope to also be able to interview them as well. That would be great. And will you have an opportunity to actually go and see these long-term care facilities? I mean, I know probably not right now, but it'd be good to see for yourself what it looks like. What was your first impression when you walk in the door? Absolutely. When you're not even going to it, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I hope so. Obviously, with COVID, mm -hmm. there's it's sort of a question mark right now and making preparations for both. But I really hope so. I hope that I'll be able to even do the interviews face-to-face -face if mm -hmm. possible when the vaccination rollout is done, especially for that population. Right. So, yeah, that's the hope. That's the hope. Well, we're going to keep our fingers crossed for that. Now, you kind of touched on this a little bit before. So my question is, what is your intended goal for this research? And, you know, you talked about policies and things and what the, the facilities themselves can do. So what is the goal and what kind of impact do you want your research to do? So I think about this question a lot. <laughs> I think the overall main goal is to really acknowledge that we need to consider older adults' needs and values when we're making policies and guidelines. Right. Um, pertaining to spousal separation, but pertaining to all the decisions in long-term care as a whole. And that's why I decided to do this lived experience qualitative research is because I want their perspective. I want to hear what they need and mm -hmm. want and value. And I am just sort of the facilitator to take what they need and put it into an action or something that can be done. So and you want to be their voice for them? Yeah, that's the hope, or just be able to take their voice and and amplify it a little bit more. Right, right. And so my hope is that it can guide policies moving forward when it comes to spousal separation. There's currently actually a bill that's in place by the MPP in Waterloo who is trying to get a bill called the Till Death Do Us Part passed. Right. And it's with the Ontario government, and what, what it would do is prevent individuals from being separated. So it's in the process right now. It's not completely gone through. So my hope is that if that bill is passed, then I can use my research to help guide that. Because mm -hmm. right now, the way our system is set up, it would be really difficult from one day to the next day to be able to make that happen because of the wait times and because of the right. lack of beds available. And like you said, there's two-year waiting list to get into a long-term care system. So if that bill is passed, then I really hope that this research can help guide exactly how we're going to make sure that spouses stay together and why it's important. Just throwing something out there, because I think we can all see the benefit of keeping people together on a, an emotional level. Mm -hmm. But do you think it could potentially make the waiting list even long, longer because it's harder to find two beds as it is to find one? 
Yeah, and so that's sort of the question that came up, especially with this bill possibly being passed, is if two individuals are waiting for a bed to go together and one comes up, then will they just be bumped further down the list for someone that is able to go there by themselves? And so I think that's really where research needs to go next and efforts need to go next after that bill is passed or after my research, which I hope to continue to work on, is what exact changes need to be made and how can we make those changes to ensure that not only that they get to stay together, but it's fair and there's more equal opportunities for them to stay together. Because one would think the easiest way is to make sure the rooms can fit one or two people in. Maybe not as simple as that, but that would be, to me, the obvious thing. It comes down to how big those rooms are, though, so you're not actually squished in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, in the long-term care facilities I've worked in in the past, there were some rooms, but there weren't a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah, balancing and figuring out a way to ensure that there is opportunities and room available to keep individuals together. And then if one spouse dies, what happens then? Do they get moved to a single as opposed to stay in the double. Exactly. That kind of thing. And those questions are ones that come up a lot, and Mm -hmm. they're really fair questions to ask. And so it's a very complex situation that's not going to obviously be fixed overnight. Mm -hmm. But my specific hope is that my research will focus on the older adult side and their view of this issue, and then put that together and compare it to the logistical issues that we're talking about about. and really figure a way to balance those two together. So given the current climate that we're we're living in right now, how do you think COVID-19 has impacted older adults in long-term care, specifically those spouses and separate facilities? Have you had a chance to even interview any of them yet? So I haven't had a chance to interview them, but I have done some research and, and background. It's funny, one of my comprehensive exam questions, which is the exam we do for PhD programs, was focused on visitation restrictions for older adults during COVID-19. Right. And so what really came out of that was there's a lot of importance played on ensuring that COVID-19 doesn't go into long-term care facilities and infection is controlled and there's no outbreaks, which is incredibly important. But that's almost to, to the detriment of them needing. Yeah. So it's comfort. almost the physical health of individuals is placed higher over the risk of mental harm or right. mental uh, mental health or psychosocial well-being. And so there sort of needs to be a balance, more of a balance between the two. I was reading an article the other day where an older individual said that they felt like they were in jail and they would rather mm. not be alive than live in this condition. Right. And specific to spousal separation, for those individuals who are in two separate long-term care facilities or one living in the community and one not, they could go six, eight months this past year without being able to see their loved one. Uh, mm-hmm which is just not only sad, but also incredibly detrimental to their physical health and mental health. And so it's really raised the question of, is it more important or we need to balance the importance of infection control with quality of life? Because it's not necessarily always about who can live the longest or ensure that people can live the longest, but it's also about the quality of life aspect of ensuring that they have a good quality of life. I would imagine if they were in the same facility, in the same, living in the same room type thing, 
they could at least give themselves comfort, even though they can't see the extended family, they can give each other comfort. Absolutely. And not only comfort, but the social interactions that allow them to keep up their physical and mental health and, right. their, and their cognitive health, someone to talk to. And obviously, it's quite different, difficult if you're isolated to your room by yourself. Yes. So even having someone to talk to and, and yeah. And do the crossword with each together exactly. each day. Exactly. And like, I do that with my mum all the time. We're always doing the get up and do the crossword and beat it to the sudoku and then <laughs> that kind of thing but yeah they, it's it's it is important so i guess that comes to my next question why are you focusing only on canada's long-term care system because there's other ones in the world there that are doing a much better job than we are and how do our policies differ from other areas of the world pertaining specifically to spouses mm-hmm. placed in long-term care? So there's a few reasons. One, I think, is the like personal connection and interest to the Canadian long-term care system. That's where I live. That's also <laughs> the research I want to do in the future. Is you want to make sure it's good for you when yeah, you're at that age. Exactly. <laughs> and also just improving the long-term care system in Canada is really has always been a focus and interest of mine. When it comes to, like you said, there's so many different long-term care systems throughout the world that to do research on all of them would just not be feasible within mm-hmm. my yes. few years as PhD <laughs> student. And then when it comes to how they're different, I was talking before about the bill that's in policies that are in place that would ensure that individuals aren't separated. Right. So some of those policies and bills are actually in place in certain countries in Europe and in that area. Okay. And historically, they've been really good at taking care of their older adults. And so they actually already, one I can think of the top of my head is Sweden, yeah. has a policy in place that no matter what sort of health restrictions or level that an older adult is, they have the right to stay with their spouse when they go into long-term care. That's great. And so those are somewhat models Mm -hmm. or countries that we can look to for guidance when it comes to changes to our long-term care system when we're looking at spousal separation as well as sort of the long care system long-term care system as a whole too so and it, it's it's interesting you're doing this at a perfect time i mean covid has blown up all sorts of things for us which is great so you're coming out at this at the right time but also the other part is our population here in canada is getting older so it's only going to get worse if we don't fix it now Uh, I don't know how long it took Sweden to come up with their system or anything, but it seems to be working there. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, that's sort of the first line of my justification for all of my research is our Canadian population is getting older. The baby boomer generation Mm -hmm. is reaching that age where they're becoming older adults. And our healthcare system and a long-term care system are just going to continue to be overrun with older individuals, right? Because they're not keeping up with the growth. Exactly. And so if we don't look at it from a wider lens and really fix issues the higher level issues within our society and within like the long-term care systems and our health care system, then it's only going to get worse and harder for individuals to get into long-term care and for different aspects of that. So It's interesting too, and I'm just a bit off your topic, but you know, unless we can put some policies and things in place, if the majority of long-term cares are privately owned, where is the accountability? to make sure that they are doing the right thing. And we can't make it so everyone is bad. There are some very good ones out there, but we've clearly seen some ones that are lacking a few things. So that's going to be tricky. I think it'd be really interesting to hear the the comments of the lived experiences of, of your 
couples that you're going to be interviewing to see how they're experiencing things, whether they're together or currently separated. Yeah, I'm very excited for for my research and interested to see what they say. I believe it'll be at moments heartbreaking and Mm -hmm. difficult for these conversations because there will be a lot of sad and things that will come up through these conversations. Absolutely. But just sort of remembering and reminding myself that There's a purpose for this. Right. And like you said, with COVID, if you can see any type of silver lining or anything of the situation is that there is a bit more focus on Mm -hmm. our long-term care systems. And it's now more than ever been in in the media to really highlight the issues that are going on. And hopefully that will drive change for the future. And if you can give some backup data to help guide that change. Is that, that, uh, that is perfect. With any of your colleagues in your current cohort, have any of those worked in long-care facilities? Can also give an administrative or, or a healthcare worker's perspective of how they see their, their experience of seeing individuals? So there's none that directly work in a long-term care facility right now. I know one of my colleagues going to also do be doing research on long-term care, but looking at the resilience of long-term care systems during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is so interesting and so timely and important right now. Mm -hmm. The really great thing is my internship, which I did with Eastern Health Long-Term Care in Newfoundland and Labrador. Made some amazing connections there. We'll be be able to speak and sort of network with individuals there that give a really good insight into the long-term care system. Of course, that's in Newfoundland, so it is slightly different. Mm -hmm. But I think that they can really provide some perspective and help when it comes to putting together exactly how I'm going to do this research Mm -hmm. and then moving forward as well. So there's a lot of really amazing researchers that I'm slowly getting to know and learn and and speak to as well. And, And then I also hope to reach out to other individuals, people who have been focusing on the Till Death Do Us Part, part Bill, as well as right. doing other re- research surrounding long-term care. To this, is, this is where I think your program is, is really good because it does have that cross-disciplinary aspect. I mean, someone could yeah. be researching policy, someone else, uh, like you said, the psychosocial sort of elements, other people, logistics, and all really, really important to ultimately get a better system in this instance, for long-term care. Exactly. Even if they haven't worked in long-term care, like we bring up all the research projects to each other each week that we meet to just bounce ideas off and get people's different perspectives because of all the amazing and also really varied experiences Mm -hmm. that we have. And so... I think there's some a lot of people in our program that are going to be making amazing changes for our healthcare system. So it's really interesting just to hear hear them talk about it each week. <laughs> well, you got your work cut out for you because it's not going to be an easy fix, but at least you can sort of get some information together that people can use. I hope so. To yeah. hopefully make a a big change in the long term care facilities across the country. Because that's going to be interesting too, you know, between urban versus rural. and Absolutely, and, yeah. Uh, so I take my hat off to you. You've taken on a really good topic and I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you so much. So that's it, everyone. As I say, every week, uh, the time's got away from us, so we are going to have to call it quits. Don't forget, you can download the podcast on either iTunes, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. And until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big... Hooray!
Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Thank you.